0: Just when I was out, they pulled me back in.
1: Today is Tuesday, October 18th, 2022. Time for episode 181 of the Barnhart Podcast. Wait, 181, I read that backwards. It's, it's, no, it's upside down. You know what, it. it, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the world is upside down and backwards, and the topics we're going to cover today reflect that. So it, it makes perfect sense that we have a show number that reads the same up, backwards, forward, and upside down. So um, obviously you heard Anne laugh there. It is time for the Matzah cast one more time. And I, did you see, Dr. Matza that the, that the um, set of the contests have found you now?
0: You know you've made it when the state <laughs> of the contests attack you. <laughs> Uh,
2: they, they they haven't really started to attack you yet, Dr. Matza. They're just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're just, uh, they're, they're, uh, pelting, they're pelting popcorn at you so far. So, gotcha. um, but hopefully, hopefully this episode will go a long way towards answering questions and, and, um, It's going to be a, it's a robust conversation and we're going to get into that.
1: I always find it weird that the set of the talk about the papacy so much. It's like vegans talking about steak. Um, Maybe not the perfect analogy, but it just seems odd.
2: Well, I mean, their, their entire worldview does revolve around it in an odd way in that in that negative space sort of a way so i guess it kind of stands to reason but and it as we are all on the same page and we all agree this is one of the most important questions in the world today um, it's one that is clearly not taken seriously by hardly anyone at all so you can't you can't it seems to me fault the set of acantus for not taking the question seriously they do they do I think they come to some false conclusions obviously but um, at least at least they're taking the question seriously which is more than you can say for the Trad Inc contingent whose entire modus operandi seems to be just pretending nothing's wrong um, ad hominem attacks against anyone who dares ask the question, uh, changing their positions 180 degrees within the span of easily within the span of a decade. That's,
3: that's exactly right. That's exactly. Right. And we talked about it on an earlier podcast that the the cities would tell you that their position is the highest defense of the papacy itself. And they're not necessarily wrong there. And they're certainly more right than trad inc defending as if francis could possibly be pope
2: exactly exactly i mean i don't i don't know why they hate us so much i guess they're just so used to to just being in attack mode all the time but i I would hope that they that they would look at us and our position and and look at us and say look these these people are are trying to engage this question honestly deeply blinders off they're making logic we that's us we are making logical arguments we are citing canon law we are citing quotations of various and sundry very important people germane to all of this um you know we're not we're clearly not in the same ideological camp, if I may use the word ideological, as the trad inks, as of and God forbid, the Novus Ordo, quote unquote, conservatives, good grief. I mean, at, at, at this point, it's almost insulting to be to be lumped into that. It's, it's just it's so farcical. It's just so farcical. Um, so non-venny Mark, we've got Dr. Matza. Hey, Dr. Matza.
0: Hey.
2: Good to have you with us good to have you with us uh mark do you have some do you have a rough outline or are we just gonna are we gonna go by the seat of our pants on this deal we're probably gonna go
3: seat (laughs) seat of the pants but uh uh it's a it it was a very apropos intro um and you know the uh very active internet life of dr matza in the last 48 hours um (laughs) that's sort of what we're here to talk about but the the lead up to it was, uh, Let me two just interviews. say,
0: I, I can't live a normal life. I was raised by the streets, so i got to be down with the hood team.
3: <laughs> Dr. Matza gave two interviews over, I guess, uh, were they both on Friday?
0: Uh, one was on a Thursday, one was on Friday.
3: Okay, so um, John Henry Weston at LifeSite News and uh, Timothy Flanders from One Peter Five, uh, Meeting of Catholic, and brought up a number of really good points, some of them new and revealed for the first time, and uh, you know, centering around heresy and a pope and how much can the two of those things really be intermixed before we have a loss of office. So this is sort of separate from the discussion around Benedict's resignation and talking more about uh, an ecclesiastical office holder whether he be the pope or a lower-ranking cleric, and uh, profession of, of heresy. And we should probably talk a little bit about the different grades of of heresy and how that affects one's not only holding an office in the church, but actually membership within the church. So maybe I'll just leave it at that and let Dr. Matza kick us off.
0: Sure. Um, let's, uh, let's get into the definition of, of heresy um of course over the centuries it's gotten more specific right which is the same with most doctrines right of the church um and so now we have we have formal well let me start with this the definition that's in canon law is that heresy is when you go against something that you have to accept on divine and catholic faith and um I was talking with Father Nix a few weeks back, and he put up a post on this. Uh, there's a online, you can find some versions of people that have taken stuff from Denzinger, and they've taken stuff from Ludwig Ott and the manualists. And we came up with a list of about 200, 250 different uh, statements that are de fide, which if you directly contradict them, uh, you would be a heretic. So that that's the first thing. It's not like you can just become a heretic because you deny anything. It has to be uh, you know, very solid uh, in the church's history, if that makes sense.
3: And in terms of development of doctrine, maybe you could speak a little bit about um, how that works and how if, something, if there is a novelty that comes about in magisterial teaching, it's always a more exacting uh, treatment of whatever the subject matter is it's never to make it more vague than was previously defined
2: exactly that's huge yeah go ahead dr Matze.
0: yeah uh, well I, I i'd like to quote um bishop schneider uh he uh, he was at the uh recognize and resist uh remnant conference um he was on with steve bannon uh, i think yesterday or today uh, and Ugh, although we, groan, we disagree. I know we, <laughs> that's the thing. Um, I love Bishop Schneider, but he's promoting, we have to accept Francis and there's nothing we can do even if he was a flaming heretic and everybody knew yeah, it Yeah, not that, cool. that's yeah. not what I've found in my research for my book. I, I've gone through 2000 years of church history and I'm sorry that the, his excellency is wrong on this, but there's never been one instance where the church just threw its
2: hands up and said, well, we just have to wait till he dies. Isn't that true? Uh,
0: yeah, I, I... yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> so and, and Bishop Schneider said, and I believe it was in a life site piece, he said that the church has a long history of doing exactly precisely what Holy Mother Church has never ever done, and that is just put in, putting up with, with a questionable situation even if he were an anti-pope, there's nothing that could be done anyway. No, the church has always, always aggressively gone after these situations and gotten them remedied within the lifetime of the anti-pope, not only for the good of Holy Mother Church, obviously, but for the good of the soul of the man himself, so that he could repent and say, oops, sorry, yeah, I was an anti-pope, I don't wanna go to hell, I'm gonna repent of this. This business of just sitting and doing nothing and saying, "Mm, there's nothing we can do. This This is 21st century effeminacy in spades sorry bishop schneider i i'm i'm shocked from a man who's come from a soviet a former soviet country who grew up under that crap and now is has just fallen into this worldliness of effeminacy and sloth and saying there's nothing we can do and saying things that are objectively false, namely that the church has just has just blown these situations off before in the past. Nothing could be further from the truth that is objectively false and surely, my goodness, surely Bishop Schneider should know this.
0: Never call him Shirley.
2: <laughs> walked right into it, walked right into it. But- and, but and, he didn't. and what
3: is it, can I just ask this, what is it with his, you know, victory tour, or, or whatever this is that he does, that he's constantly jetting around to all different countries, all different cities, different conferences, different uh, podcasts? How does he get away with it? Uh,
1: Perhaps he's the opiate of the trades.
3: <laughs>
2: Ooh, super nerd bringing the flame, oh my goodness.
0: I mean, wasn't um, Cardinal Cardinal Burke's wings clipped by yep. uh, Vatican Inc?
2: <laughs> there, there was a, a, an edict that was made that cardinals were not supposed to leave Rome. Do you remember this? When, when Bergoglio came out with this, that the cardinals were not supposed to leave Rome without permission from the Vatican, and of course, just like everything else, that just that just evaporated. Um, but. Yeah, I don't. I don't understand these men. Cardinal Burke, first and foremost, among them, Bishop Schneider. All of these guys. Cardinal Cardinal Mueller, who was um, fired as the head of the CDF for you know actually trying to go after priests and bishops who were raping children. You know, huh, heaven forfend. All all of these men. All of these high ranking and but in the case of bishop schneider he's not high ranking he's an auxiliary in kazakhstan but still these these prelates who are just spectacularly abused by anti pope bergoglio and then just and then just can't grovel to him enough i i i don't get it i i don't get what they're playing at unless they're playing at the the absolutely deluded notion that any of them are are potentially going to be quote unquote elected in whatever questionable situation develops. And God literally only knows, does Pope Benedict die? Does, does Bergoglio die? Does Bergoglio quote unquote resign? And I put that in scare quotes because you can't resign something that you never had, but you know what I mean. I mean, God only knows how this is gonna play out. And, and do these men actually think that they have a snowball's chance in hell of any sort of um, ascending into any sort of position or office of authority, given the fact that anti-Pope Bergoglio has stacked the entire thing with a bunch of apostates, sodomites, communists, new world order chinese communist party apparatchiks you name it i mean what what kind of fantasy world are they living in and then
3: well well, well, it's even worse than that do they have no fear for their own souls
2: uh, well yeah and cardinal burke almost died cardinal burke got caught up cardinal burke got pneumonia and was in a hospital with with a ventilator down his snorkel for several days i thought he was a dead man for sure how do you not come out of a situation like that and just be ready to go to war right now Oh my gosh! I almost died. I have to do something now. I I truly do not understand this. The other point I want to bring up, and we can probably circle back to this, but I want to get it out there and everybody make notes. I want to come back to it. There's this argumentation that there needs to be some bizarre council called, and the clergy of Rome are going to um, are going to elect the next the next pope or whatever. And I'm like, what kind of a fantasy? pollyanna nonsense world does anyone who would propose that uh, even live in do you not understand that more than 80 percent of the priests in rome are active sodomites do you not understand this how in the world could you think that that is any sort of an acceptable um, a- an acceptable solution to all this these people Aren't even really Catholic. They're apostates. They don't believe in any of it. They're active sodomites. Some of them are Satanists. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. The solution is not going to be any sort of a broad spectrum um, census fidelium situation within the church because there's hardly anybody left, especially at the upper levels and especially in Rome. It's just, it's abject nonsense. The next I, I have the sneaking suspicion that there will be another ecumenical council called and it will be microscopic, microscopic, and that pe- people will be hiding, but that this ecumenical council will be validly convened. There may or may not be a pontiff elected at this thing. I don't even know. But I have the, I have the strong suspicion that if there is another ecumenical council, it ain't going to be Vatican three. It's gonna be something in, in a tiny location hidden off somewhere, and it will go down in history as such. It's happened before many times.
3: Hmm. Well, we know, uh, and this is just born out of the effeminacy, I guess, but we know that the senior prelates, the, the, the actual Catholic ones, they're waiting for a supernatural solution. They're, they're sitting back and saying, God's in charge, He'll fix this, and just wringing their hands.
2: Meanwhile, back at the ranch, everybody's going to hell, you know? I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's inexcusable. I think the Lord is waiting, and the reason for our Lord's patience is precisely to give those men the opportunity to step up, do the right thing, because of course the telos of man is the beatific vision and is in doing the right. The only way we can be happy, truly happy here on earth is by doing what's right, even if that means it gets us killed. That's the only true happiness that can be had in this world. And I don't think these men have much interest in that. I think they're terrified of losing losing their position, having their hat taken, losing their apartment in Rome, you name it. And it's uh, it's sad to watch. And our Lord is just every single day saying, here, here is your chance. Here is the chance for you to be who I made you to be. And they just... They pass, they fold every single Here's time. Here's your They're chance to be a saint. Yeah. You're getting dealt pocket aces every single day, and you're folding every single time. It's, it's, it's maddening.
0: Quo vadis.
2: Yeah, exactly. I'm going to Rome to be crucified, not to. I'm not going to Rome to, to live it up, you know?
0: So, um,. Ah, so we we got on this pathway because I was going to bring up a quote from Bishop Schneider, which he actually did get right. Um, Quote, Traditional and constant doctrinal statements of the magisterium during a centuries-old period have precedence and constitute a criterion of verification regarding the exactness of posterior magisterial statements, so, new statements of the magisterium must, in principle, be more exact mm-hmm. and clearer, but should never be ambiguous and apparently contrast with previous magisterial statements.
2: Yep.
3: So, how about Vatican II?
2: <laughs> failed council. Failed council. Hijacked and failed. And there have been, I think, how many, Dr. Mata, how many failed councils have there been? Like four or five?
0: Yes, what, yeah. Like
2: the most recent, I think, was Lateran Five. I think Lateran Five was considered failed council. And it, it happens. It was validly convened, it was validly convoked, because we're not set of Acantis, and yes, John the Twenty Third was the vicar of Christ, therefore it was validly convened and convoked, but it was hijacked. It was hijacked like three days in the original outline, the original schema, which I just posted. And guys, I know it seems wonky and maybe boring. It's not. Go read those documents. They are. It'll it'll put your jaw on the table. It's just astounding what Vatican II was supposed to be. And if you're not crying salty tears, at least interiorly, after reading those original schema and and saying. Good grief, this thing could have been, this thing could have been up there with Trent. It should have been up there with Trent. And look what happened to it, okay? So yeah, it was validly convoked, but it was failed. It was a failed council. And again, talk about things that are just patently obvious. How can you look that within 10 years, uh, let's say 15 years, Of this thing happening and closing, that what? 90% of the Western church just walked away. And yes, it is that much. People took one look at the Novus Ordo Mass, even if they were, you know, not the best, not catechized in the best way, clearly didn't have the deepest faith in the world, but they were still going to Mass every Sunday. There was still something there. They took one look at the nova sordo mass and said well that's it the church no longer exists this is not catholicism walked away and never ever went back i can't tell you how many people i knew personally know personally from my days in the cattle business in western kansas and all those german catholics out there they they straight up told me "Nope." went to saw one nova sordo mass said that's it this isn't catholic and walked away and never ever ever went back and told themselves that this is proof that the church no longer exists or never really existed in the first place. It was that bad. And that happened so historically, it happened so rapidly that, again, talking about things that there aren't precedents for, the rapidity of the collapse of the United Kingdom was a theme that was the last uh, on the last podcast the reign of Elizabeth II, 70 years seeing this total, almost near total civilizational collapse, it happened even faster. It happened way faster in the church after Vatican II. How can you look at this thing, this this dog's breakfast inside of a dumpster fire, and say, oh yeah, this is totally cool, this is fine. Not only is this totally cool and totally fine, let's make sure that every single theologian, every single academic, for the rest of time, now has to only look at the documents of this council. This is the only council that can be cited. This is the only council that has to be just constantly ground through and ground through and ground through. Everybody's wasting their time on this thing. When it's so obviously obviously a failed council.
0: And uh, no less a person than Joseph Ratzinger uh, Mm -hmm. said, and I think it was 1969, that, you know, not all councils have been uh, worthwhile. Some of them Mm -hmm. have been a waste of time. That's him. And he, of course, he was very enthusiastic about the Second Vatican Council, but as the years went by, um, what he saw going on in the church kind of sobered him up to a certain extent. But um, Mark, have ne- we ever really... have we
2: talked about the 2013 February 2013 speech? Have we talked about it on the podcast and linked to it? Which one? The horrible, the horrible one in the middle well, of February can, when he was yeah, speaking was, to the yeah. You've got you. That's your wheelhouse.
3: We we can put the the link in the show notes. It was four days after the quote unquote resignation, and he was speaking to the Roman clergy, and. It was a love affair with Vatican II, yeah. uh, in, including all the worst aspects of it uh, in terms of uh, the liturgy and, you know, praising Romano Gardini, who, as far back as the 1920s, was leading the quote-unquote, liturgical movement and pushing for full lay participation as if we weren't already participating. In the liturgy exactly Uh, all the hand waving and and all everything that the new the new mass is is rooted literally in the 1920s or even the 19 teens yeah yeah it it goes back that far and then did
2: something happen in the 19 teens that might have kind of
3: foreshadowed
2: 1917 maybe i'm 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 fuzzy on all that you know (laughs) exactly yep so there's there's Ratzinger just a few days after announcing the putative fake resignation going and telling the clergy of Rome that how Vatican, how great Vatican II was, that it just hadn't been done right yet, and there was, you know, there was a spirit of Vatican II in, in the media and in the press. And that's the problem, because the, the council itself is just is just exquisite. And of course, anybody who's read those documents knows that it is an absolute dumpster fire. It is an internally contradictory, nebulous, unclear, in places, just outright bad, um, and that, and it's far uh, beyond, breakfast.
3: Yeah, far beyond just the new mass. There were a whole series of um, teachings, religious liberty, ecumenism, Uh, you know, things that lead directly to indifferentism as well. Mm -hmm. And each of these things was clearly condemned by prior popes, prior encyclicals, specifically condemned. Mm -hmm. So we have a real problem here because now we have a a council that on the one hand, it tends to be uh, vague, nebulous. But on the other hand, did define new doctrine that is diametrically opposed to what has been condemned in the past, or confirms to what has been condemned in the past. I don't know how to say that.
2: No, but but did it did it dog, it didn't dogmatically define new doctrine.
3: Well, they came afterwards and said, and Ratzinger has said, well, it defined no new doctrine. Correct. Yes, it did. Yes, it did.
2: Mm, but but it it has the it has the the. Uh, what do you call it? the disclaimer at the beginning of every single document and the beginning of the council itself, saying this is not this council is not going to be you know defining dogma. This is a purely a pastoral council. And so that, it's got and that's these where
3: the rub is. That's right yeah. because they because there were no doctrinal formulations.
2: Yes, in the,
3: in the document. So they say, well, it wasn't. There was no no new doctrine defined because literally the formation was not. What it would need to be yeah, I mean, for, it to, for, it, for it to be formal. But the ideas that were promoted and, uh, you know, promoted. Slipped in. And, and, slipped and, in. Yeah. 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 They, this, um,
0: they... I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Doc. No, this, this subject came up. Uh, I don't know if you guys watched the debate between uh, Brother Diamond and Cassman on Matt Diamond Fred's. isn't a brother. Uh, well, <laughs> trying to be no, charitable. Uh, no, but, no, yeah.
2: no, no, that's stolen <laughs> okay. valor. No way, Mr. Okay. Diamond, if that.
0: So Mr. Diamond was arguing with Mr. Cassman and uh, being a of the contest, uh, he was trying to argue that, yes, because Paul VI, because his signature you know, is on each page of the documents of Vatican II, so to speak, therefore it is dogmatic, or it, you can't get around that. And he was just dismissing that, uh, that proviso, that, you know, this was supposed to be a pastoral council. But uh, we're not Sede Vicantists. And so let me give you a a snippet from my upcoming book that's going to be, God willing, coming out in November, hopefully, on the papacy. And this is Cardinal Pericle Felice, who was the General Secretary of the Council. And uh, again, General Secretary of the Second Vatican Council. And he offered a qualificatio theologica regarding its theological weight. Uh, The the theological weight, he's here specifically speaking about Lumen Gentium. But uh, what he says about Lumen Gentium could apply to all the documents of the council, I think. He says, quote, "Uh, taking into account conciliar custom and the pastoral aim of the present council, this holy synod defines as binding on the church only those matters concerning faith and morals which it openly declares to be such, Mm -hmm. And then Ratzinger, and this is like a year or two after the council, I'm pretty sure, he chimes in and this is what he says. Um, This is not the case anywhere in the texts that we have analyzed. And he's talking about, the chapters of Lumen Gentium that deal with the Pope and the bishops, um, and so Ratzinger says, therefore, they contain no new dogma. Mm-hmm. Un- unquote. So that's you know he he was a Paratus at the council, and he was a, you know the big cheerleader for the council afterwards. So um, now he does say that the, and I and I'd like to focus in on this for a, a minute or two. Uh, He does say that the assertion of the sacramentality of the Episcopal office at Vatican II, and that's chapters 19 through 22 of, uh, Numbers 19 through 22 of chapter three of Lumen Gentium. uh, He says that they most nearly approach being a dogma because of the solemnity of the introductory words, quote, this sacred council teaches, unquote. But even it should not be considered a dogma Uh, for the text does not state that this doctrine is part of the apostolic deposit of faith. So what am I getting at here? So we have Ratzinger telling us that Vatican II was not a dogmatic council. It issued Mm -hmm. no new dogmas. All right, mic drop. Uh, But if, if if, if, if it did teach a dogma, the thing that comes closest to it is the teaching, which nobody brings up, but I've made it my business over the last 12 months to do so, it, not this business about religious liberty. Not this nonsense about uh, you know Buddhists achieve uh, nirvana and all this stuff. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'd rather score the Chili Peppers anyway. Um, but the um, you had to grow up in the nineties, really. Yeah, you had it's a nineties so, joke, kid. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, so I always go off on a tangent and lose my thought. So, but the thing of it is this: nobody uh, talks about the the, big, the biggest bombshell in Vatican II was taking the, pa- the papacy down a few pegs and exalting the bishops. This right. is the origin of synodality, All right, the, the grandfather of synodality or the father of synodality or the Pachamama is collegiality. And I again, I talk about this <coughs> in my forthcoming book, but to give a <coughs> Reader's Digest version of this, and you were talking earlier about how the original schemas for the Vatican Council were were awesome, mm-hmm. uh, and you know it, it it had the possibility of being another another Trent. So let me read to you from the draft constitution on the Church, you know, which which never made it off the cutting floor, thanks to the uh, the revolutionaries and the progressives. Mm-hmm. Quote: As for the constitution of this august college, all residential bishops living in peace with the Apostolic See, are by their own right, members of it. Meaning the Apostolic College, the successor, the successor mm-hmm. institution of Peter and the Apostles. Mm-hmm. So, and the quote goes on to say, "...and no bishop, whether residential or not, can belong to this college, unless by direct act or by tacit consent, he is admitted into it by the successor of Peter, the vicar of Christ, and the head of the college. Now, uh, Ratzinger uh, admitted that the council changed this. And how did they change it? Well, he says that in the original draft constitution, as we just read, membership of the college of bishops could only be residential bishops. That means the requirement for membership was jurisdiction over a particular diocese, jurisdiction conferred by the pope. That's something called missio canonica. I hope I'm not getting too technical here. So he says the college would appear in the long run to be nothing more than an institution of papal privilege and the great idea of collegiality threatened to evaporate. So you see where he's coming from here? He's saying that we had to change the draft schema and, and in the new schema, which is Lumen Gentium, which actually went into law, so to speak, uh, instead of all the bishops being bishops by virtue of the fact that the Pope has given them jurisdiction <coughs> to rule various dioceses, and that's what incorporates them into the College of Bishops or the Apostolic College, right? Instead, Vatican II very specifically says that uh, it's Episcopal consecration when you are or ordained or consecrated a bishop that gives you membership into the apostolic college. You now, here's
2: the-, the, here's the question that pops up. Okay, what do we then do or say about all of these curial bishops who are, you know, they're diplomats, they're working in the curia, they're working in Rome. And for people, I mean, I think people in North America, they might not have any sense of this, that there are bishops, I mean, Rome is just crawling with bishops. None of them have sees. They're not metropolitans. They're not the bishop of this and such town. They're just bishops who work in the Vatican. For example, right now one of the best known ones is um, is Pope Benedict's uh, prison guard slash minder slash whatever you want to call him, um, Ganswine. Archb- now Archbishop Georg Ganswine. This guy has never ever had any sort of a of a sea he's never been the bishop of a city he's never been the bishop of anything he's a curial bishop he's a bishop inside of vatican city in rome you know doing whatever it is that he does so dr Montza, what do we then do with all of these curial bishops where does that put them vis-a-vis the apostolic college
0: according to the traditional teaching of the church they would not actually be successors to the apostolic college um But they are bishops. Exactly. Because you see, and this is gonna hopefully lead into my my take on Benedict and and his resignation, but to get there, I've gotta go this route. Um, You have to understand that Vatican II put up for a vote the question, and this was in October of 1963, so 59 years ago this month, does it please the fathers of the council that the council should affirm One, that Episcopal consecration is the highest degree of the Sacrament of Holy Orders. In other words, not that becoming a bishop is an eighth sacrament. Council of Trent said there's only seven sacraments.
2: No, it's within the Sacrament of
0: Holy Orders. Precisely. But the thing of it is this. For centuries, the greatest minds of the Church, Bonaventure, Peter Lombard, Thomas Aquinas, and others were of the opinion that Episcopal consecration is not the highest degree of the sacrament of holy orders because the only difference between a bishop and a priest is jurisdictional. Let me make this crystal clear for folks because if you don't catch this you'll never understand anything that Maza says or writes. Um, In the church there is sacred power and for the last millennium the church has said sacred power can be sacramental right? You, you, you get ordained a priest, you can confect the Eucharist, or sacred power can be jurisdictional. The Pope makes you the Bishop of Milan. Now you can govern the, govern your, your flock, right? And you have power to do that. You have jurisdictional power. Um, what, um, what the scholastics and, and others seem to have taught for centuries is that um, becoming a bishop uh, doesn't really give you anything except jurisdictional power Therefore, it should not be considered a sacrament, if you catch my drift. And uh, Cardinal Ottaviani uh, said that uh, this is important because, um, and he was the head of the Holy Office, because the bishops get their jurisdiction or their power from the Holy Father. He thought it was theologically certain that that was the case. But anyway, what happened at Vatican II was the, the majority of the bishops said Yes, we, we think that Episcopal consecration is the highest degree of the Sacrament of Holy Orders. And then the corollary to that is, is the second thing that was on the ballot. Quote, that each bishop who is legitimately consecrated in communion with the bishops and the pope becomes a member of the Episcopal College. All right, so now if, if you say that the Episcopal consecration is the highest degree of the Sacrament of Holy Orders, it means that you become a part of the Apostolic College when you receive that sacrament, when you when you receive Episcopal consecration, not because the Pope gave it to you. So this is what they wanted to do. This was an end run on the papacy, that the Apostolic College, in a certain sense, can exist apart from him or in opposition to him because it has its own legs to stand on, if you will. And it should uh, be
3: said that... Ottaviani believed what he did with moral certainty because it had been prescribed um, or declared that way uh, by Pius VI against this exact idea of the bishops getting their power from their uh, consecration and not from the Holy Father.
2: But isn't it, I mean, that in order to be consecrated bishops, that, that delegation has to come from the pope right so we've got you know chicken before egg situation here you know the pope says okay you are going to be elevated you're going to be consecrated a bishop and then it happens i mean it's it's very it's very fuzzy i'm 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 still perplexed by this so well, what it
0: does is it, it, at the very least it gives them room. It gives the it gave the progressives everything they needed on paper to do what they wanted to do inside the church. Okay, they mm-hmm. again principle one, episcopal consecration is the highest sacrament. Two, uh, you get that sacrament, you automatically become a member of the college regardless of what the pope does with you. Three, uh, this college that you now belong to possesses, according to the council a supreme and plenary authority in the universal church. Wait, hold the presses here.
2: So that's, <laughs> that's conciliarism, right? Or um, it's a what's form that heresy of called? Yeah, it's a form of conciliarism. Exactly. The apostolic college is above the pope, which of course is wrong.
0: Well, what they, they, phrased, it in amb- they, they phrased it- Collegialism. Yeah, Collegialism, yeah. Which is, like I said, it's the mother of uh, syn- synodality. Um, they, they used ambiguous phrasing. This is the phrasing that the bishops voted on. This college of bishops, united with its head, the Roman pontiff, and never without its head, it being understood that the primatial right of the head remains whole and entire, possesses a supreme and plenary authority in the universal church. So the the good bishops, or the you know ordinary, just regular run of the mill bishops at the Vatican Council, Saw this and said, "Okay, well, it's not really attacking the Pope because this body can't really do anything without the Pope. It's always with the Pope and never without the Pope." But the progressives could look at this and say, "Well, it says that the body itself possesses a supreme and plenary supreme. authority in the yep. ch- suprina." That's a complete change from before. Before, only yeah. the Pope possessed a supreme and plenary authority in the Church. So this is where we get uh, Cardinal Martini's vision mm-hmm. of a synodal church this mm-hmm. is where we get bergoglio's synod on synodality it, mm-hmm. this is the seeds of it you see mm-hmm. um and uh so I, so I hope that people are getting this that's this, not too dense here
2: it's it's the fault of of the council itself because when you just read that last sentence i just said well that's they're talking out of both sides of their mouth literally in the same breath always in union with the with the supreme pontiff we of course have supreme authority wait 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 which is it it's both it's neither and then 60 years later multiple generations of men have wasted entire theological and academic careers trying trying to square that circle which is it seems obvious to me exactly the point of the ambiguity and exactly the point of talking out of both sides of your mouth it's something that a jesuit would do which is exactly what martini was so yes
0: yeah and, and let, let me read you something interesting again it's from my book here um in 1964 when they were about to vote on this november of 64 about um the documents of Lumengensium, uh, there was a, a reporter from the National Catholic Distorter uh, there. It was only, I think, their first year in existence or their second year in existence. And this is, he, says, he says something very interesting about the adoption, or the, they were just about to vote on the adopting Lumen Gentium. He says, other issues have taken the headlines at the moment, but collegiality is still the key to the significance of the Second Vatican Council. The debate on birth control, the schema on ecumenism, the Declaration on Religious Liberty, these and others are of deep and lasting importance, but the practical implementation of collegiality will have much to do with the effective communication of council decisions on these matters, what matters, birth control, ecumenism, Mm -hmm. religious liberty, Mm -hmm. to the faithful with their administration Mm -hmm. and interpretation in decades and centuries to come Mm -hmm. so the trojan horse is collegiality Mm -hmm. that that's the thing that's the the tripwire here that's what gets everything going here and you know Um, what's
2: flashing into my mind is going back to that anecdote about bishop filet of the sspx meeting with pope benedict in his office in the apostolic palace and bishop filet saying why don't you just do what needs to be done And Pope Benedict Ratzinger pointed at the door of the office that they were sitting in. And he said, my authority ends at that door. And that's that's Pope Benedict's failure in falling for this this trap. And and he he actually believed that he believed and probably still believes to this day that his authority, quote unquote, ends at that door, which is why we're in the mess that we're in right now.
3: You know, the question that's going to be, need to be answered, and, and, and Dr. Matza needs to develop his, um, his thought here and, and uh, commenting on the interviews that have just taken place, but, um, you know, this is the, the question that's going to need to be answered, is that w- how much of Benedict's error and adherence to what Vatican II accepted and taught, whether it was doctrinal or not, you know at some point there's a limit to or we need to question how much of the acceptance of that acceptance of error um, it's problematic to say the least I'll leave it at
0: that yeah I again I have been arguing over the last year that we in order to understand Benedict's resignation you have to understand it in the context of the council right because it here we are commemorating you know the 60th anniversary this month and there's not a single aspect of the life and practice of the Roman Catholic Church that is not you know that's been left unaffected by it you know so mm-hmm. it would be naive in the extreme to think that uh, the 2013 resignation of pope benedict was any exception okay oh,
2: well said well said <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah yeah so, so
0: this strengthens our our, uh, our argument for substantial error and if somebody's listening to the you know barnhard podcast for the first time what do we mean by substantial error canon 188 the current code of canon law says that any resignation in the church which um, was the result of substantial error is automatically invalid by By the law law itself itself. yep yeah so if if you guys permit me I will try and walk through um, in a brief as brief fashion as I can (laughs) uh, what I mean by this because uh, my debate opponent from last February is out with his own book now, with a foreword by guess who? Bishop Athanasius Schneider. Yeah. Uh, and claiming that the resignation of... There's nothing to see here.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, I mean, that's it's so embarrassing. Both right. I mean, I can't even... I can't even read O'Reilly's stuff anymore. It's so embarrassing. It's tough. It's he tough. lays out he go, he lays out all the evidence that proves exactly our point and then concludes it by saying, So you see, of course, this means exactly the opposite of what the plain sense of the words mean. Nuh-uh, shut up, stupid. And you just look at this and shake your head and it's like this. Is this guy? Is he this dumb, or is it because he's a CIA? He is an ex-CIA spook. This is a fact. This guy is is CIA. I think he's allegedly retired, but whatever. Is is this just CIA? You know, trying trying to manipulate the minds of the people by just saying that black is white and telling ginormous big lies. And if you just keep repeating yourself over and over again, then people will nod their heads and say, uh huh. Yeah, that must be right. Um w- w- It's obvious that that tactic works spectacularly. Um After two and a half, t- almost three years of this COVID crap, I mean, nobody can argue that telling the big lie is not, is not a spectacularly effective tactic. Um But I mean, it's, it's hard to read. Ever since Schneider's piece in Life Site News that said, you know, the church's the church's modus operandi, whenever there's been a questionable papacy, has just been to do nothing and and let it work itself out with the passage of time. I mean, I can't, I can't even take this stuff seriously anymore. And it's, I've I've said this like about Biden and watching clips of Biden. I have a really hard time watching people embarrass themselves. I don't. Even, even your ideological opponents, even your outright enemies. It's difficult for me to watch people embarrass themselves. And with O'Reilly, that's just what it is. I don't know how many copies of this book he's going to sell. I don't know. I frankly really don't care. Um, and, you know, Dr. Motz is going to put out a book. And goodness gracious, I have the transcript of my, of my video presentation for sale as a book. I mean... <laughs> it's just a matter of getting this stuff out, out there, and then history will judge it. And I have absolutely no doubt about how history is going to judge these things. The problem is right now in the moment when people are so blinded, and people just can't make heads or tails of this. But you know, when the other side's argumentation is uh shut up stupid, I mean, you pretty much know that you've you've got the thing pinned down and pinned down hard
0: yeah exactly and um but he's been he's been on me about my use of the expression sacrament and that ratzinger thinks that the papacy is a sacrament so i'd like to address that sure so the syllogism goes like this all right step one canon law says a resignation is invalid by the law itself if it involves substantial error point two what is substantial error? Well, it's when you, you have an erroneous idea in your in your intellect of the object that mm-hmm. you that your will is is choosing to either accept or to reject. In this case it's to reject, right? The papacy is the mm-hmm. object of his resignation. Mm-hmm. So your intellect has to have the right understanding of the object in order for your will to reject it and give it up. Um, it's the opposite in marriage. You're you're accepting something rather than rejecting it. But anyway. Um so that's the that's the second point. So can we demonstrate that Ratzinger has some new weird idea about the papacy? Oh so- boy, howdy, can we ever
2: <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me started. Okay. Oh, yeah, seriously, don't get me started going Yeah, ahead. <laughs>
0: We we can we can <laughs> we can go through Rats we can go through Ganswine if we have time. But yeah. um so, But let me, let me take a circuitous route by going direct—well, not circuitous. Let me take a direct route by just going to the horse's mouth itself here. And then go to, straight to Benedict, and I'm going to give two quotes from uh, his career where, he, where we can understand what he means w- when, he, when he resigns, okay? So you have to understand this first. So um, you, we know that after the council, things were crazy, right? And that uh, Ratzinger himself even recognized that. And he says that after the council, everybody had a screwed up notion about what the priesthood is. And he says that a, uh, uh, a social... Fun-
2: oh, but it was a fantastic council. So <laughs> <laughs> Nobody
0: knows what a priest is anymore, but this is,
2: this is the council of all councils. Oh, man.
0: Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, please. Um, he says a social... Vis- <clears throat> I, can't, I can't even talk. A social functional vision that's the word that's the the magic word today is functional okay just remember that a social functional vision which defined the nature of the priesthood as a service to the community in the fulfillment of a function at the social service of the social body of the church right folks um, he's
2: not kidding they literally write like this I mean it's it <laughs> Word salad, anybody? I mean,
0: <laughs> so what he's trying I to a, say? I, I
2: had a Cobb salad the other day that was less diverse <laughs> and mixed than that was. I mean, seriously.
0: I'm speaking. I'm I'm speaking. <laughs> 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 I can't do the cackle, but um, <laughs> so what? Radzivig. What We trying- don't
2: we don't say her name because it's a demon's name, you know. <laughs> that's, so. that's right. That's right. Um,
0: I'm I'm. So this is, this is Ratzinger speak, but what, he, what, what this means in plain English is that people after the council said that the priest is just a minister, he just performs a function for the community. That's it, okay? Now, the, he says, on the other hand, the ontological sacramental vision, Stephen O'Reilly, which, while not denying the service character of the priesthood, saw it, the priesthood, anchored in the existence of the ministry, and here we might substitu- substitute the word munis, actually, mm. an, ex- an existence, uh, I'm, that's my paraphrase, not his words, but he says the existence of the ministry, an existence that was determined by a gift called a sacrament and granted to him by the Lord through the church. So Ratzinger is saying after the council, everybody was saying, oh, the priest is just a glorified social worker. And Ratzinger is trying to say, no, we can't lose the other aspect of it, which is it's a a munis, it's a ministry, it's a gift, it's a sacrament, okay? And he says that as a result of of what was going on after the council, people stopped using the word priest or priestly because of the sacral meaning. And instead he says they use the neutral functional term minister, from which we get the word ministry, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, if we understand that, great. Now, I'll give you another quote to kind of bear this out. What does Ratzinger mean when he compares and he contrasts sacramental, uh, the sacramental nature of something versus the sociological functional aspect of something? To give you another example, this is even shorter, Benedict once criticized Martin Luther for misunderstanding the difference between uh, office as jurisdiction or uh, or function and office as right or sacrament and what he says is Ratzinger says for Luther the Wait, priest, and
2: right right when you use the word right it's r-i-t-e not r-i-g-h-t exactly. right yeah okay
0: okay he says the priest for Luther the priest does not transcend his role as preacher so the, the consequent restriction to the word alone had as its logical outcome the pure functionality there's that word again Mm -hmm. of the priesthood it consisted exclusively in a particular activity if that activity was missing the ministry itself ceased to exist so you have this problem with luther and you have this problem after the second vatican council now with with these two things under our belt Let's move on to what Ratzinger says to Seewald in his 2016 interview with him, right? Peter Seewald, the journalist, the fellow German, Mm -hmm. interviews Pope Emeritus Benedict, right? In his book, uh, Last Testament, in his own words, Last Testament. And he says, he basically throws Ratzinger's own declaratio back to him, the words from his resignation. And he says to him, is a slowdown in the ability to perform reason enough to step down from the chair of Peter.
2: Oh, he's got him. Cause he was just, Ratzinger was just uh, yelling at Luther for making exactly that argument, right? You
0: got, Are you it. You?
2: You hey, got it. you? got it. Oh, hey. this is great stuff. Oh, ding, ding, <laughs> ding, 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 ding.
0: Bingo. <laughs> and, and now we can understand why Ratzinger didn't turn around and say, yes, <laughs> right? <laughs> Instead, he got, a little, he got a little testy, didn't he? What did he, he say? What did he say? He said that would be a functional misunderstanding. Remember
3: that word, functional? functional? Functional, yeah. And 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 I wouldn't even say that he got a little testy because there's no way he didn't have these questions ahead of time or even write them himself.
2: They're, they're in writing, yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Precisely, yeah. And he's, he's talking in his own mother tongue. They're both Germans. They're you know they're they're chatting there, uh, and and they're they're anyway. So he says one can make that accusation remember what what seawold says he, again he just throws his own words from his own declaratio back at him is a slowdown mm-hmm. in the ability to perform reason enough to climb down from the chair of peter and o'reilly and ed Fazer and all these people who think that that we're on uh you know on the, on the, ready for the funny farm here. <laughs> they, <laughs> right, well, they, that's a separate question. So. <laughs> that's a, that's, that is a separate question. <laughs> <That's> a separate <laughs> question. <laughs> just because you're paranoid doesn't mean you don't have enemies. Um, that's right. <laughs> so, and what does Benedict say? Uh, uh, instead of saying, yes, that is reason enough to climb down from the chair of Peter, read my declaratio, isn't that what I just told all you people? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Instead he says, one can make that accusation, but it would be a functional misunderstanding, use of the word function, And then he says the follower of peter who's the follower of peter oh yeah the successor of peter the pope is not merely bound to a function there's that word again function so it's just like the priesthood it's just like uh, luther right there is one aspect of of in this case being pope that's functional you are performing a ministry an active service an activity okay but that's Mm -hmm. not it the, the follower of Peter is not merely bound to that, all right? So, you know, so he says the office mm-hmm. enters into your very being. Oh, it's almost
2: like there's a distinction between <laughs> office and ministry. Man, somebody, <laughs> somebody should
0: write something about that or something. That's, that's Shouldn't crazy. They? Go ahead.
2: Yeah, a <laughs> distinction
0: between munis and, and ministerium. Who would have thought? <laughs> mm-hmm. So he says in this regard, following a function is not the only criterion of being a pope My so goodness. what does that mean and everybody perk up your ears because this is the moment you've all been waiting for
2: we're all leaning forward we're leaning forward
0: if fulfilling a by the way do you have any gray poupon? <laughs> no people <laughs> but, but of course to, <laughs> <laughs> people are not old enough <laughs> listening to this to get that okay uh if fulfilling a function is not the only criterion of being the successor of Peter, you can resign from that function, and what are you still, what are you still are? <laughs> You're still the successor <laughs> of Peter! Mm. But in a passive way, not in an active way. Am I making sense here, or am I out in left field yep. with a hockey stick? And there's yep.
3: absolutely no other sort of visual evidence that would back this up, right? No,
0: no, no. I mean, it, It's not hasn't... like he's walking around wearing white, it's not like he's never left the Vatican. It's It's not not like people call him Your Holiness.
2: Yeah, Your Holiness, Holy Father. It's not like he gives people my apostolic blessing when he signs his letters with with his papal name. No, 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 no. It's not like he still lives in the Vatican or something crazy like that, you know.
0: So I, I rest my case. He sees the papacy not as an eighth sacrament. All you people attacking me on Twitter. No, <laughs> he doesn't see it as an eighth sacrament. He sees it as the fullness of, this, of the sacrament of holy orders. Just like Vatican II changed centuries of teaching on the subject, uh, it's the same thing here. He is suggesting, more than suggesting, by his words and by his actions, that there's a part of the papacy that you just don't give up. And it's because he's got this German. Nouvelle theologian mm-hmm. uh, stuff ran, wrangling around in his head, and I'll call my star witness on this. Okay, here's my star witness. Oh, um, Here's
2: where it gets sticky. <laughs> his okay, name everybody.
0: is, they call him Jorge. Well, actually he's, he's known as Pope Francis, but we call him Jorge. This is what he said on this subject. Quote, for some theologians, the papacy is a sacrament. The Germans are very creative in all these things. <laughs> I do not think so, but I want to say that it's something special. <laughs> what a deep thinker. It's special, baby. It's special. And this is, he said this in, I think it was 2015. So can everybody now see that Maza is not leading you down the primrose path here? He's, he's, this is all out there. The truth is out there. It's right here, black and white. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. The nutty Germans think that the papacy is a sacrament, and therefore, anyway, this leads to, this leads to Ratzinger's idea, as best as I can understand it from all this research. I'm now dreaming in German and uh, suffering oh. from Stockholm syndrome, or uh, in this in this case, uh, uh, Regensburg syndrome. Yeah, uh, Regensburg
2: syndrome. <laughs>
0: but uh that's good (laughs) we're
2: all suffering from (laughs) regensburg syndrome right now
0: but uh you know to 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 kind of to to sum up the situation here the there's a traditional notion of the papacy as uh just an office of jurisdiction which you know kind of comes and goes right um Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. um there's no indelible mark that that stays on your on your soul uh, He's not that's...
2: anointed. The Pope is not anointed. He's crowned. He's crowned. There is no oil or anything like that, which is why we see and say that yes, it is possible for him to resign as it or abdicate as it is as it has been possible for. All other monarchs to resign or abdicate it's just been so spectacularly rare and i think that this is a point that needs to be brought up is the reason it's been so rare historically is because it is so if i may use the term morally unthinkable to to just abandon now i've been thinking about this the last couple days and in, in preparation for recording this and you know i suppose that if a man were to get a firm diagnosis of Alzheimer's, a man who is the Pope, were to get a firm diagnosis of Alzheimer's, and you know you've, you've already started to go senile and you already have this Alzheimer's dementia, it's been, it's been clearly diagnosed, they've done CAT scans, they can see the plaque nodules forming in your brain. If, if I were in that position, would I would I consider abdicating in order to spare the church that, you know? And and in order to make sure that the person who was occupying the Sea of Peter was in fact compos mentis, and that, and that you know, infiltrators and bad people couldn't take advantage of the situation. Oh, sure, it would occur to me. And I, I think that that's morally sound. But, I mean, the ability for us to diagnose things like that is, You know very very new this is only a few decades old so this wasn't basically wasn't in play and let's be honest most people didn't live to be 80 90 years old that's why leo the 13th was very very rare and most people just either dropped dead from a heart attack or stroke or got cancer which nobody knew they had cancer and the cancer killed them relatively quickly because obviously they were not receiving any treatment because there was no treatment okay, so people people tended to die pretty quickly. Now in the modern world, we have slow grinding deaths. And so I think morally that brings into, into the question, and I do think it is, is the case, that there could be a circumstance in which a man could, uh, it would be acceptable morally for him to abdicate or resign the papacy. Uh, but historically, it was just unthinkable that this that the shepherd would abandon the sheep in precisely the way that Pope Benedict Ratzinger has. Now, if he if he had resigned and then went sharply downhill and been dead within months or inside of two years, I think everybody would have kind of shook their heads and said, Yeah, okay. He knew he knew that he was fading fast. Guys, we are working on 10 years into this nonsense. A decade into this nonsense. And by all accounts, Pope Benedict Ratzinger, he's frail, he's 95 years old, of course he's frail, but he is mentally lucid. And I've had this testimony from people who have actually gotten in there and gotten audiences with him, that he is in fact mentally lucid. He's just he just has the frailty of a 95 year old man. So um, I don't think that it's i think what this falls into is the whole notion of it's just it's morally unthinkable that you would run off and that you would abandon the flock like this and that's why it's very dangerous i think for people to make him out into some you know 15 dimensional upside down underwater chess player who's you know receiving daily instructions from the mother of god herself i mean this is this is this is ridiculous and it's going to it's going to scandalize people terribly when they realize that as i called another podcast episode daddy isn't an astronaut daddy just daddy just ran off so and when he was asked
3: when he was asked was there something specific that led you to make this decision at the time you did his response was yeah i'm not up for the jet lag for going to world youth day
2: exactly i mean that's just that's just ridiculous he's 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 basically telegraphing no there is there i do not have any physical malady if he had a physical malady he would say even if he doesn't want to say exactly what it is he could he could obliquely say i had a physical malady but it's clear that he didn't he's a 95 year old man we're 10 years into this and he's still lucid and while not he's not in vigorous health he's still very much alive and receiving guests and getting dressed every day and going for walks every day. I mean, uh, no, there's no, there's no moral argument. There's no Alzheimer's argument or anything like that here, you know? So yeah, when men were men and the, and the Pope understood that he was, he was the holy father. He's the holy father and fathers don't run off.
0: OK, Doc, what comes next? Well, uh, since you have opened the, the, the door to this, I, I don't know if, if I should bring this up, because this is a little controversial. I guess I should bring it up just to get it out of the way. Uh, in my inter- both my interview with John Henry and my interview with Timothy Flanders, I brought up an interesting quote from Pope Innocent III. Oh, I'm
2: which, glad uh, you're bringing this up. We okay. need to talk about this. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah.
0: Let me back into it this way. Our understanding of, let's say, resigning from the papacy, goes back to Pope Celestine V, who um, was 81 years old. Um, He was a holy monk. There had been, I think it was a two-year Sede vacante, and the cardinals still couldn't decide who should be Mm -hmm. on the throne, the different Mm -hmm. factions. So Somebody had a brainstorm and said, but look at, "Let's get that you know old Ben Obi Wan Kenobi and <laughs> let's put him on the throne, <laughs> old Ben." Old and, ben. So, <laughs> and so they they brought in this holy you know Jedi from the mountains. Anyway, from they, the mountains, they, they, yeah. Uh, <laughs> they put him on the throne, and uh, he, he had no clue. I don't know if he yeah. had dementia or what his thing was but he did not know how to run an enterprise he just
2: wasn't he wasn't an administrator he was a hermit he was just a hermit and he he was in and he was very old and he was in no position to be running rome and running the church because remember at that time the pope is also the temporal king of the entire central portion of italy as well so he's, he's the Pope of the Papal States. He's the King of the Papal States, too. Talk about being in over your head. Goodness.
0: Yeah, so he was, um, he was consecrated Bishop of Rome in August, of, uh, August 28th of the year 1294, I think it was. And um, man, by November, he said, look, I, uh, I can't do this. We have to, can a Pope yeah. resign? And he turned to his cardinals and he asked them, can a Pope resign? And they gave him... Allegedly, from the sources, the sources tell us they gave him some examples of previous popes that had resigned. Now, I've researched this, and my preliminary research is this. No pope before him ever just voluntarily gave up being pope without any pressure, without any, you know, just, I can't do this. It's too much for me. I'm I'm giving up.
2: Right. It was always part of war, political intrigue, mm -hmm. war. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it it was— yeah.
0: There was one example that they probably gave him, and that was the example of Pope Syriacus. And if you've never heard of Pope Syriacus, it's probably because he probably never existed. You know, In the Middle Ages, they were a little more credulous than we are, and they took as as historical fact stuff that we know today is probably not. So there was this legend that in the third century, uh, Syriacus was a pope, and he received a heavenly command to resign his papacy and receive martyrdom with Saint Ursula and her eleven thousand virgins, uh, that's a separate story. But that's where their stories overlap. And you know, according to you know, according to nineteenth-century scholars and people in the twentieth century, uh, this is just this is not based on reality. He, he's not in the pope lists. He's yeah, not in I was there. gonna
2: say I've been through the pope list, and that I've never no, heard that name. He's
0: supposed to be the pope between Pontian and Antares, which I guess is in the two hundreds. But yeah, so it's a fable. So,
2: is this so, in the gold?
0: Is this in the Golden Legend, or Where, where is this coming that's from? That's a good question. I'm, I'm, it could be. I'm not sure. Mm. But the point is this: they said, "Yeah, look at look at Pope Syriacus here. He he voluntarily retired. God told him you have to step down. So you, you can set you can step down, Holy Father. And that's precisely what he did. Remember, he he only became Pope essentially in September, and in December, he decided to step down.
2: Yeah, he and didn't he did. make it to Christmas. Yep. No, yep. he didn't.
0: <laughs> um, so long story short um they elected uh the cardinals elected boniface the eighth and not everybody was happy about this because as as contemporaries put it this was an unheard of innovation again this had never happened before where a pope just said you know this is too much for me i'm giving up um and so some people questioned this and so it set off a a debate um the, the the spiritual franciscans who were like hardcore uh Franciscans were not happy about this. They didn't like uh, Boniface the Eighth. The King of France didn't like Boniface the Eighth. Dante Alighieri in his mm-hmm. Divine Comedy didn't like Boniface the Eighth. He was a piece of work. But anyway, uh, not to get off on a tangent da- but here. But
2: Dante hated ha- hated um, Clement, right? Well, he, well.
0: He, he hated Celestine because- I'm Celest- sorry, Celestine. Yeah. <laughs> Celestine, I'm sorry, because, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, this is what happened. So Celestine just wants to go back to being a hermit again, but Boniface is afraid that uh his the the factions that are against him will use him as an as an anti-pope against his papacy or call him an anti-pope and 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 say that celestine is the real pope and so uh poor celestine tried to escape he got on a ship but because there was a storm he had to come back to italy and the soldiers of boniface took the the, the former pontiff the former holy father the former vicar of christ they threw him in a castle they threw him in in a in a in a cell where the the ceiling was so close to the ground that he had to stoop he couldn't stand up straight and this guy in his 80s this holy father this holy monk in his 80s had to be subjected to this and basically Boniface VIII prematurely rushed him to his grave to an early Mm -hmm. grave he died two years later um now in terms of the arguments that were offered uh about this uh, some people were arguing the some of these masters at paris some of these cardinals they came up with arguments why a pope cannot actually resign. And one of the arguments that they came up with here is that um, it's, it's a sacrament. It's like a marriage. You, you can't, uh, it's a spiritual marriage, and just like you can't, you know, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder, uh, only God can, can can dissolve the bond between a, a pontiff and the church you know, when, when, he, when, he, when a pontiff dies. Um, but the supporters of Boniface, a, a guy by the name of... Um, Olivier, a Franciscan, he said that um, he said that there's a, a, a distinction between uh, order and jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. Where have I heard that before? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said that the the office of the of of order and the office of jurisdiction are separable. That the Pope can renounce the uh, the, the this this uh, how should I put this that. Um, Basically, the opposite of what Ratzinger is trying to claim, right? Ratzinger is trying to claim that um, all order and jurisdiction always go together. But the guy who said that Boniface is the true pope, and, you, and a pope can resign, and the, the next pope is a true pope, Olivi, he said there's a radical difference between the power of orders and the power of jurisdiction, All right, Through the power of orders, the pope can celebrate Mass, he, uh, he can absolve sins, and through jurisdiction, he's a judge, he's a teacher, he's a ruler of all Christians, mm-hmm. uh, and so he he can. So the power of jurisdiction has no sacramental quality; it does not confer an indelible character, and since the, the power of jurisdiction is not something permanent, it's not an impediment to a papal abdication. Um, so that's been the view of the papacy ever since. This is like ever the year since, 12, yeah. 1294, something like that, 1295. Um, so. What's the, what's the problem with this? So the first problem is on, on the face of it, Ratzinger, Pope Benedict, in his theology, completely disagrees with this. Okay? He thinks that there is, that the sacramental and the jurisdictional always go together, and that's why he didn't go back to being Cardinal Ratzinger. Right? That's why he still gives apostolic blessings. Ratzinger has this notion in his head Pegalian, Nouvelle theologian, whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know the source of it, but whatever the source of it is, he's got this idea that you can, that even though it's sacramental, it's passive, that he can give up the active running of the church to somebody else, and that somebody else is the pope in his mind. But he's like papal. He's he's still, mm-hmm. he's still. You know they share it, so to speak, in a certain way. One is the active, one is the passive, and it's because the always is a forever. Now, mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> the problem mm-hmm. is
0: this goes against the teaching on the papacy that we have since Boniface VIII. Mm-hmm. But there's a third wrinkle, and the third wrinkle is that a 100 years before Boniface VIII and Celestine did their little thing, we have the most famous pope of the Middle Ages, the one who approved the Franciscan order, uh, Pope Innocent III. And Pope Innocent III, in, the, in a sermon that he gave to the Coria on the uh, anniversary of his uh, election, uh, says something which flies in the face not only of uh, Boniface, but in a certain way, Boniface the Eighth, but if, in a certain way it flies in the face of what Ratzinger thinks. We'll, we'll get into that. Let me just read for you what, what he says here. This is what Innocent III said in like the year 1199. The sacrament sacrament between the Roman pontiff and the Roman church perseveres so firm and unshakable that they cannot be separated from one another ever except by death. Uh, and he, he makes an analogy. He says that a husband joined to his wife does not seek a release. He does not leave her, and he cannot be dismissed, for, quote, it is according to the Lord that he either stands or falls, and it is the Lord who judges. Well, on the face of it, Innocent is saying that the papacy is a sacrament, it's a spiritual marriage, uh, it's until, until death do us part, and a husband does not seek a release from his wife. So you can't resign from it. Now, again, this was a hundred years before Celestine and Boniface you know did what they did, but it's the same argument that the people who opposed Boniface were making right mm-hmm. that that it's sacramental now to add more confusion to this, it was actually a tradition of the church that a bishop is sort of married to his see to his diocese, mm-hmm. and the Council of Nicaea, for example, said that you can't believe in you're, you're, you know, you're, let's say you're the Bishop of Milan, you can't be leaving Milan to go become the Bishop of Paris or you know, some other place. You, you gotta stay put where you are. And in fact, um, no less a person than St. Athanasius, the great, you know, Athanasius Contramundum, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he said that if a bishop leaves his see to go become a bishop someplace else, uh, that that's like spiritual adultery because you're married to your flock you're married to your diocese you can't leave it so
2: stability was incredibly important up until oh wait the modern age (laughs) yeah and uh you know there's this whole argument now that priests should only stay in a parish for six years or something like that and this policy has been adopted by a lot of people that you just keep moving people around and moving people around and that is not what was going on up until relatively recently in historical terms that it was there was just massive massive stability all the way down to the parish level that's why you can watch a movie like um, Going My Way with Bing Crosby hmm. and he he goes into that church and old Father Fitzgibbon has been the parish past, the parish priest in that church for 45 years or something like that and that's that's the way things used to be yeah
0: now the only exception to this is that Innocent III, who, by the way, was the first pope to take the title Vicar of Christ, uh, he says that he, being the Vicar of Christ, only he has the power to dissolve the bonds of marriage between a bishop and his see. And therefore he did, in certain cases, allow uh, bishops to leave their see to go to someplace else. And by the same token, we have letters from Innocent where he criticizes bishops who left their see for another see, another diocese without his permission. Okay, so mm-hmm. um, and so him. So yes, but okay, no.
2: Yes, but yeah. no. From Innocent the well, Third.
0: Uh. Well, he's saying that only the only the only God, he says, can uh, not human power, but rather divine power, dissolves the spiritual marriage between a a bishop and his church however because he is the vicar of god he has the power of god on earth i mean this is literally the language he was using yeah yeah, and therefore he can dissolve the spiritual marriage between a a bishop and his diocese and yet irony of ironies here when it came to himself he said that the, the marriage between the roman pontiff and the roman church is so strong that no one can dissolve it and, and he was not, not even him, you see. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But he does say that there's one conspicuous exception to this. And this is from his sermon. He says, um, The Roman church can dismiss the Roman pontiff only because of fornication. I mean not carnal, but spiritual fornication. For the marriage is not carnal, but spiritual. And this fornication is the sin of heresy for whoever does not believe is already condemned in that sentence you can understand what is written in the gospel you have heard quote you are the salt of the earth but if the salt loses its savor how shall it be salted i -hmm. however can hardly believe that god would permit the roman pontiff to sin against faith because he prayed specifically for him in the person of Peter himself. He said, I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail, and you being once converted, confirm your brothers.
1: And the proper translation is plural. So to say it in English, I've prayed for y'all, Peter.
0: Yeah.
2: Yes, yeah, I pray for y'all, yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Our Lord did speak with a Southern drawl. (laughs) Yes, indeed. (laughs) Y'all heard that Moses said, but I tell (laughs) you. I love I
2: love this innocent the third citation believe it or not because it's it's all about consilience. and what it's proving is that no matter how you come at this question of what's going on right now in the church no matter what citations you bring at it no matter no matter how you throw the the, the spaghetti at the wall you always always end up at exactly the same place and that is that pope benedict didn't resign so if if innocent the third is right and it is it is a sacramental quote unquote marriage and it cannot be dissolved not even by the holy father himself then where does that leave us it leaves us that pope benedict didn't resign if you look at it the other way, then Pope Benedict is in substantial error and on the other side of the coin and Pope Benedict didn't resign. It's just, no matter how you skin this cat, you come to exactly the same conclusion. And that is, that is so persuasive in and of itself.
3: I just wanted to throw uh, something out there from the Ganswine speech at the Greg, where mm-hmm. at one point he said that what Pope Benedict did was entirely different from Mm -hmm. what celestine did
2: Celestine
0: did yep and that's kind of a
3: big clue right there
0: and ratzinger talks about that too in in, in the seawold book i don't know if it's the first seawold book or the second one uh he 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 emphasized that personally in case people say well that's just ganswine talking no, most of the time when Ganswine is talking, he's actually reflecting what, what Benedict is, is is teaching. Oh, but, absolutely. But, he's a
2: mouthpiece to a certain yeah. extent, yeah. But you can mm-hmm. get it
0: straight from the horse's mouth, and in, in, um, I have to look up where he said that, but yeah.
2: That it is nothing like it, because Celestine <laughs> was absolutely insisting, I'm not the pope anymore. I'm not the pope anymore. Get me out of here, Put on the put on the brown habit, get out of Rome, get out of Italy, see ya, and was imprisoned nonetheless. And yeah, Pope Benedict said this is, or Ganswine said, and Pope Benedict approved the speech that this is completely, totally different that he is now, that Pope Benedict has now fundamentally transformed the papacy and that he is the Pope Emeritus. This is a completely new thing. This is completely unlike any other papal resignation that has ever happened in history. And the question that I ask, and have asked in writing on the blog over and over and over again, if it's not a papal resignation, what in the hell is it? and i think we all know it's it's an invalid juridical act and that's where we sit
3: yeah and you know the one thing i brought up in the chat was and i've written about this in terms of substantial error the bar is so incredibly low because yeah. all we have to prove with moral certainty is that benedict sees himself as remaining in some way papal yep That's folks no is problem. really yeah yeah
2: <laughs> no problem at all there and you you're exactly right and what did i say in the chat we we're not we're not playing olympic high jump here friends we're not trying to run and pole vault over some extremely high bar we pl- can we're, you go we <laughs> we're, we're playing limbo here guys it's the bar because god is a really good human resources manager and he makes all these things simple, simple, simple. It's not high bar, it's low bar to, to, to see these juridical questions and especially these quote unquote human resources questions, which is what this is. The fact that everybody's sitting around and in this state of upheaval but it isn't even that. The thing, the thing that needs to be called out again and again and again, is why is this? Why are asking these? Why are asking these questions completely forbidden and verboten? Why are you not allowed right. to talk about? Didn't Tucker Carlson just have an entire segment about why can't we ask obvious questions? Hell, that's been going on in the church for nine and a half years now. And Nobody shouldn't, shouldn't is allowed to obvious,
3: ask. Right, and shouldn't that in itself be an obvious sign of something being sideways.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Yep.
3: Yeah. So going back to what Dr. Matzo is something Dr. Matsu said a few minutes ago about Pope Benedict, he he may see Bergoglio as his successor. He may see Bergoglio as Pope. None of that matters. No. If he regards it doesn't. himself if he regards himself as remaining and in, in any way papal, game over.
2: Yep. Absolutely. And this is why I keep saying over and over again. No, people are saying, well, we need to go get Pope Benedict and put him in front of put him in front of a microphone and, you know, grill him and ask him these questions and say, what what do you believe? What do you think? No, that is not what needs to happen. In fact, that would be even more a super nerd. Get ready with the for for Mother Superior. That would be even more of a show than we already have because he would not say anything that was in any way clarifying because nothing he says is ever clarifying and that's and that is juridically not the procedure the procedure is the the holy mother church identifies objective reality doesn't make it up out of whole cloth just identifies objective reality with regards to Pope Benedict, what he has said specifically, most importantly, what he said between February 11th or whatever that date was, and um, February 28th. That everybody agrees that he was the active vicar of Christ on earth at that point. And so everything that he said and did in that window is is legally germane to this question. All right, then all we have to do is look at non solemn propter, the declaratio, and look at his final audience on February 27th, and then look at canon law, and it is it is patently obvious glaringly obvious that he didn't resign. You don't need to go and ask him any questions. You have observed objective reality. You have recognized the legal situation. You go and you tell him, holy father, your resignation was invalid. You are the one and only living vicar of Christ. Bergoglio is an anti-pope. You need to either repent of this or it's going to be bad. If you don't want to be, if you don't want to be the vicar of Christ anymore, you need to draft a resignation that says, I resign the office of the papacy effective immediately and sign it. And guess what that would prove? Talk about conciliance. If he were to do that, it would prove that the first resignation was invalid. You see? You just keep Truth just draws everything to itself. It's almost like our Lord said that in the Gospels somewhere, that I will draw all men to myself, and he, of course, is the truth. You tell Pope Benedict this. If he refuses to draft a, a resignation, then we we wait for him to die. And you get Bergoglio the hell out of there. Um, that's That is the you know, and with a magic wand, I mean, that's, that's the obvious path forward that should be executed. Now, the question you know, is, the one is anybody going to do it? Go ahead. The
3: one, the one glaring thing that he did not do between February 11th and February 28th of 2013, he didn't codify Pope Emeritus. Nothing. It literally Nothing. doesn't exist. Nope. And 10 years later, it doesn't exist. Nope. I find that very interesting.
2: You would have thought that if he that he would have, you know done something in terms of canon law and and uh, what's it called derogation and so on and so forth, just just absolutely nothing. Read, read that statement, read non solemn imprompter, gave the gave the final audience on the twenty seventh and then just chow.
3: It's almost as if he was maybe negatively protected from doing it.
2: Almost as if, almost as if the divine providence were at work. Well said, sir. That even even with working with Ratzinger's substantial error, that the divine providence has been playing 15 dimensional upside down underwater chess as the divine providence is wont to do. And the existence of every one of us is a species of 15 dimensional. Upside down underwater chess. If you think about the chain of events that the divine providence has put in place over the course of human history in order to land at your existence with you sitting or standing where you are right now, if the arms on your, if the hairs on your arms don't stand up, um, there's something wrong with you. So, yes, I think this is clearly an, an indication that the divine providence is at work. With Ratzinger's substantial heir. If we start trying to attribute all of, if we start trying to attribute the divine providence to Ratzinger, you're gonna end up with people who are just wildly scandalized and disappointed to the fact, to the point that they might. Completely apostatize, as several people already have in Trad Inc. Several prominent people go Eastern Orthodox, which is to say, go into schism. And now, of course, we have Trad Inc. people, you know, faithful, formerly very, very, very faithful people, Peter Kwasniewski, all of the the remnant crew, all of those people just beating the drum that the papacy is not what we have said or thought that it was for 2000 years, which is a position that I just find so so utterly saturated with hubris that I can't even comprehend how these people can hold this position at this point, they're resisting
1: without recognizing reality.
2: Mm. Thanks for working it in. (laughs) They're they're taking
3: the only position they can take and, and and sort of not lose their mind. Think about it.
2: Well, it's the clock is running on that because yeah. you are eventually you are going to go bonkers um and uh if it, bergoglio this, this situation- is
3: pope the catholic church is a lie that is correct that's what needs to be said and that's what these people need to understand yep. and it really is is it really is that simple the, folks
0: the, yep. the problem is is their 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 base premise is that uh bergoglio is pope and and so they can't accept the tradition well so in my book what i one of the things i'm doing in my book is i'm going through the, the exegesis of luke chapter 22 verse 31 through 32 which we just read when our lord says in the plural that satan hath desired to sift you y'all, y'all. As, mm-hmm. as we mm-hmm. right? but i have yeah. prayed for you y'all that you're and uh and uh strengthen your brethren you know so mm-hmm. uh, I, now I've 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 gone through saints and doctors of the church and popes and century after century after century. Uh, there's no way that the current recognize and resist paradigm works. Nope. Because uh, it, it it says that the pope is the de, is is the defense of the faith. hmm it, 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 it it's it's completely impossible that you would have a pope that was actively seeking the destruction of the faith. Uh, he like, but like,
2: he he can't be both the principal principle of unity and standard of schism and for it to be a schismatic and even an apostate act for you to be in union with him. That is a violation of the law of non-contradiction. A thing cannot be both itself and its opposite. And this is exactly what they are arguing. And their agenda is 100%. And how it is that they do not see and comprehend this is absolutely beyond me. Their agenda is one. percent aligned with that of institutional Freemasonry as founded in 1717 in London. Destroy the papacy, strike the shepherd, and you scatter the entire flock. That is what they are doing. Don't you understand that it is precisely the authority of the papacy, the supreme authority of the papacy, that we need in order to fix this, super nerd, get ready, show that we're in and and get this thing back on the right tracks, barring supernatural intervention, which very well may come if Bergoglio was the false prophet, forerunner of the Antichrist. Baby, the, the, the clock is ticking on this situation, but we still have to continue to proceed until our Lord returns in glory, as if we need to actively be the ones who undo this, this and that's what, uh, where bishop schneider circling back to bishop schneider here we go right back to bishop schneider no we're not going to sit and wait we're going to be active and we're going to try to do something about this until our lord returns in glory which could happen five minutes from now or it could happen after we're all dead we don't know
0: yet yeah, we have to follow what archbishop sheen said in 1972 he said mm. it's the laity that's going to save the church and how are they going to save the church by demanding that the priests be priests, that the bishops be actual bishops. Uh, And in this case, that the Pope actually be Pope, right? Um, And for all those people out there who think, well, this is just academic stuff and it'll settle itself out. We have time to work this out. Um, It's not just the 60th anniversary of the Second Vatican Council, but this week is the 60th anniversary of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Mm -hmm. And let me just remind everybody that we are in very eerily similar circumstances right now. Yes. And as Father Gruner, Lord rest his soul, 40 years ago wrote in a book titled, World Enslavement or Peace, It's Up to the Pope. Until we get a Pope who consecrates Russia together with all the bishops to Mary's Immaculate Heart, we are in imminent danger of nuclear annihilation or a communist takeover or some combination of the 2 mm-hmm. And I'm not, this is not melodramatic language. This is what's going on here. You want your kid to grow up? You want to survive another month or two? We got to get to the bottom of who the Pope is or who the Pope isn't because we're we're, we're staring annihilation in the face here. Our Lady of Fatima was not kidding around and we're approaching 100 years since she asked Mm -hmm. for the consecration of Russia in June of 1929. So the clock is literally ticking here we don't want to end up with the same fate as our lord prophesied the tell make it known to my ministers they're going to follow the same fate as the king of france they're going to follow him into misfortune and the king of france waited 100 years to consecrate france and got his head chopped off
3: wait are you saying that the consecration in february which the fssp (laughs) and sspx participated in was didn't the work.
0: recognize and resist crowd. The recognize and resist crowd. Has that, has, I, I, I I? told Timothy Flanders, has that consecration working out for you?
2: How's, yeah, exactly. Shut up, stupid. You unlettered lay nothing, how dare you. Ugh. And remember, folks, it isn't just, I think a lot of Americans sit around and think, well, I mean, if there's a nuclear war, they can't, they're, they're, They can't kill every single human being in the United States or in in Europe with um, nuclear nuclear detonations. It isn't just a question of that. It's a question of the second, third and fourth order consequences when there isn't any fresh water running, that there isn't any food delivery, that there is no petroleum being refined or being 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 weld or defined, or excuse me, welded or refined, uh, pumped or refined. Um, it's it's all these consequences that come after this. The the nuclear conflagrations. That's why that's why doesn't Our Lady of Fatima say that the living will envy will envy the dead? Our
3: Lady of Akita. Akita.
2: Akita the the living will envy the dead. What does that mean? It means the people who are dying of the second, third, and fourth level consequences. Of a nuclear conflagration, will say the people who were who were uh, instantly vaporized—they're the ones who had it good. He, now here we are dying of dying of dysentery and all of this stuff because the the we're all drinking sewer water because everything is collapsed.
0: And you know, guys, I, I maybe that's what it's going to take. To get a a group of uh, people to elect the new pope that are actually decent (laughs) circling
2: back to what i said about a micro uh, the next ecumenical council that's validly convened i'm convinced will be extraordinarily small very very small and probably hidden up in up in some hidden land somewhere that didn't get touched by a by a nuclear detonation
0: but it it doesn't have to it doesn't have to play out this way okay if if people get on their knees if if people uh do what they have to do is and you know especially the you know i don't have to name names here the the good Mm -hmm. bishops the good cardinals gotta Mm -hmm. step it up and uh that's why you're wearing red
2: yep that's your blood that is the trail of your shed blood that's what we're wearing can, uh, red. And we can pray That's to what to the Kapamania is. Oh, yes, it, whose uh, day is coming up uh, Friday the 21st, yes? Big Let's day for to... for Blessed Carl, yeah.
0: Somebody else who gave up the active ministry, but who never actually renounced the munus.
2: Except he was solid about what he was doing. <laughs> he swore He swore on his, up until the day that he died, I did not abdicate, I am the Holy Roman Emperor. All I did was give up running the government so yep blessed carl pray for us
3: well kids we're at an hour 40 i've got to run to mass any last thoughts dr matza
0: uh our lady of the rosary of fatima pray for us and uh oh yeah um just a a public service announcement uh dr Mazza's courses are going to start next week uh it's not too late to sign up for the pope history class or for the spiritual warfare class just go to edmund and uh in about Five weeks from now, believe it or not, we're going to start the Advent course. Wow! The annual Maza Advent course. Have you and released I, the
2: the title yet?
0: I, I I will I will use your your podcast here to be oh. the international uh, release of the <laughs> content. Uh, drum roll, please. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be about the third secret of Fatima and uh, Marian apparitions about the end times. So. And uh, if folks want to, uh, I don't have have it on the website yet, but if folks email me, edmundmaza at gmail.com, I will give you the first Sunday of Advent for free. I will send you the link and you can catch the first um, of the four classes, the the mini course that we're gonna be doing on the Third Secret of Fatima and how it applies today.
2: Ooh, outstanding. All right, very good. Mark, what do you think? Wrap it up?
3: Super nerd on or should I do it?
1: I'm, I'm here. I, I thought hello, she was asking hello. if you had any any uh, parting thoughts.
2: Nope. All okay. right, super nerd. Take us home.
1: Well, then I will frostily go into it. Uh, no, that's Mark. I'll, I'll salt, <laughs> saltily go into it. The email address for the podcast where you can send feedback, comments, suggestions, or good news items for wrapping up the podcast is podcast at barnhart.biz. Anne expresses her profound gratitude to all of her benefactors. And there's at least one traditional Catholic mass said for all of her benefactors every single day. And of course, there is the traditional Catholic Latin Requiem Mass said every single week for everybody who died in the previous week, regardless of how you died. Hopefully, you died in the state of grace. Um, but but regardless, that that's for everybody. Please take a moment to join your uh, prayer intentions with the priests who are celebrating these masses. I'm uh, at wit's end at the moment to to try to come up with another way of 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 explaining just how critical it is that we pray for priests. Um, it's said in the Gospels that that uh, when when the the wars and rumors of wars and, and men will be fainting for fear of what what is to come. Mm-hmm. Um, priests have a pretty darn difficult uh, vocation, and and without prayers, I I, I wonder how many of them uh, would would completely uh, lose faith in, in their vocation and not have perseverance. Uh, and I wonder how many of them only persevere because of the of the the prayers of the faithful. So, it, this this is a a joint effort. Uh, we have to pray for the priests, uh, and of course we rely on them as well. Don't forget that the Barnhart Podcast is a patron saint, St. Tiny Princess. Pre- invoke her, and she will definitely help out to the degree that she can or is allowed to. The Barnhart Podcast is a value-for-value value podcast. If you got some value out of this, whether it's entertainment, education, and hopefully this one was very educational, uh, please consider <laughs> please consider uh, returning some value, and you can do that at supernerdmedia.com. I have not checked the mailbox, so I have no idea if there are, are new donations. We'll do that. We'll catch that on the, on the next episode. But that brings me to the end of my spiel, which means it's time for uh, Anne to talk about Matthew seventeen twenty.
2: Pray every day without ceasing. fast twice a week, if you can, for a fourfold intention that Bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as anti-pope and the whole thing be nullified. That Pope Benedict Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living pope since April 2005 that anti-Pope Bergoglio um, repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace in the fullness of time, and someday achieve the beatific vision, and that Pope Benedict Ratzinger repent of whatever he might need to repent of, die in a state of grace in the fullness of time, and someday achieve the beatific vision. Nothing less will do. Our Lady of Copacabana, Slayer of the Pachamama Demon, pray for us. Pray
1: for us. Pray for us. Amen. And we can't get out of here yet without, um, Edmund, Edmund, you can't get out without a Godfather reference. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Just when I was out, I, I, they pulled me back in.
2: <laughs> yeah, there it is. There it is.
3: <laughs> there I'm Mark. <laughs> Stay frosty, my friends.
1: And until next time, I am SuperDerd.
2: And I'm Anne. Thanks, guys. God bless.
0: I can't live a normal life. I was raised by the streets.